Welcome to The Time Machine. Experience the cancer journey through the eyes of the traveler. everybody this October 18th. Uh, my name is Rob Charette and uh, I'm hosting the Time Machine here with Don Corcoran tonight. Uh, Don's relation to me, uh, or my relation to him is I'm his brother-in-law and so I consider it an honor to be able to uh, to um, be the interviewer tonight for Don uh, on behalf of the Time Machine. Um, so Don, uh, now that you're the guy behind the mic tonight, <laughs> And not the interviewer, um, the time machine. What, what, uh, what's the what's the idea behind it? What's the idea behind the name? Where did it come from? What's the inspiration? So you are making me cry right off the bat. Is that what we're going <laughs> to yeah. start with tears? It uh, the time machine came from from a story called the time machine that originated from. Uh, a moment I had with my son, with Gideon. It was right after diagnosis. And I've been telling telling my kids stories for years and developed you know, Bunny World and the Dragon World and all these intersecting worlds with all these different characters. And so I always told stories at night to them and, and then eventually recorded them so they could play them back whenever they wanted. And so story became a, a big aspect of, of our life you know, have little iPods with my stories on them so some my favorite daddy moments is before bed when I'd come in and they all had their iPod and they were listening to different bunny stories um, and so the story is just a way that you know we had connected and, and once I was diagnosed um, soon after diagnosis I saw a thing called Story Night on Facebook. I didn't know what it was, but I was interested because I've been telling stories to my kids for years. And so I went to that and wasn't quite sure the format and anybody could get up and share a story. And so I got up and, and shared a story. It was called I Love My Yard. And that was the first story that I, I gave to adults. And then um, I went back again and each month to tell a story and came back and told the story the second month. And, and in that time, you know, we're processing through, you know, what life looks like as far as, you know, how long I have. And, you know, we told our kids initially, you know, they were three, seven and eight, I believe. And, um, that's after the three, seven, and eight. And so we, we told them, and Cassidy kind of walked through kind of some of the new things that were happening with, you know, with diagnosis, but we didn't give, you know, the full to them when they're little. And, and so I wasn't quite sure because once we told them, they just kind of, you know, okay, we done, family meeting over. <laughs> and so they ran and played. And, and so I realized, oh, I'm glad we didn't just give the heavy to them. And we, we let them know, and so then I, I kind of thought, oh man, that would have been, you know, intense to put, you know, hey, your dad might die on them. And, and so unnecessarily, and then 
time went by and I thought, oh, maybe it didn't affect, maybe they didn't really catch the gravity of it. And one night I, I crawled up in into uh, the bunk with Gideon and he'll always, you know, often ask me, you know, to snuggle with him. And they all do. So we, we do funny stories and prayers or, or read something and then then um, I jump in, you know, and snuggle with them. And so I jumped up in with Gideon and it was quiet and he doesn't, doesn't, he has an economy of words. He doesn't, you know, talk like his sister. He's like a, a machine gun. But he, he's really thoughtful. And, and so we, we lay down and uh, it was kind of um, a silence. And, and he had been listening to Adventures in Odyssey. And I remember there was, there was a story in there where a father had left and, and, um, he asked me, he said, he said, you know, dad, do, do, do dads leave? And I understood that he, he realized more than I knew. And so it was quiet, you know, I could hear his little heart beating. And I realized, you know, how do you navigate this moment? And so I said, yes, son, you know, dads dads leave and my dad left and and that does happen sometimes and uh said well dad i'm gonna build the time machine that way if anything ever happens to you i can come visit you anytime i want and we can talk and um that became the uh the next story the third story i ever told the story and i was titled the time machine and was inspired by Gideon and so I realized that for years I've been telling stories and they might and they, we've been recording them so they could listen and we have like 150 stories some of them are 20-30 you know, minutes long so there's all these stories and through the years what I would do is I would tell a story if you know Gideon Tristan had a problem or you know, during the day I would incorporate that into the bunny story and, and they realized who they were and what characters they were and we'd work out problems and I would put principles in, into the story so they'd be teaching and um, I realized the power of story so when when I was diagnosed and, and then the time machine story became really the putting a focus on the fact that you know, maybe all I'll have, they were young. So when I would tell stories at the gallery, I realized I'm telling stories to adults because I could tell kid stories to my children. I could tell them bunny stories about what's going on, but I realized if I were to die, you know, when they're 10, 12, 15, 20, and they're dealing and grappling with, with bigger things in life, wouldn't be there to, to share with them. So I realized Story Night became a journal for me and it was a, a way to go and journal, you know, what was happening with diagnosis and treatment and the possibilities of life or death. And, and they were stories that were meant for the people that were coming, but always with understanding that this would be my way to speak to Josiah as an adult man to man about what's happening in life 
if I were to die because he, you know, at that time was three years old and I knew he, it weighed on me the fact that he might not remember me because, you know, I look back at my memories in life and, and, you know, before five, there's not many. And so I realized people would be having to tell him who I was. Or Gideon and Tristan were still old enough that um, they had more established memories with me. And so um story became, you know, kind of that bridge um, in that time machine where I could, I could give them my thoughts about life, about things that I think would be important for them to know. And I could do that in story form and, and then preserve that. And uh, it would be my time machine to them that they could always come visit me and they could come visit me through story. So that was uh, the origin. I had a, you meet a lot of people on the cancer journey and that's one of the, the great gifts of, of the cancer has been for me is that it's opened the door to all these other relationships and these people. And, and uh, there was a, a girl, Jill, that I'd actually, I got connected with her kind of a, a, an interesting way. I'd, I had been doing some of these stories and you know, eventually we started recording them so the kids could see them if I were to pass. And so they could, that was the, kind of the, um, the purpose of recording these. And somebody had shared it on a Facebook page that went somewhere else. And, and I realized there was a cancer page that had this on there. And I was like, wow, somebody shared it here and there was, there was views. And, and so I was like, well, what is this page? And this was, you know, after the fact, probably six months, but I, when I discovered that, I went and looked, and as I was looking, I, I saw there was an article with the people in the group that said, um, you know, I hate it when people say, you know, fight when it's, when it's um, to do with cancer. And, you know, it's so demeaning to people with cancer, and, you know, how dare you say that? And there was like a Huffington Post article that was referenced, and so I read that, and it was pretty scathing about, you know, how you could, you know, speak that way when someone's dying, because if they die, it's their fault they didn't fight hard enough, and I remember I was reading, it was like a whole look into a different world that I hadn't been living in as a cancer patient, because we had been, you know, through, through our journey, every time we would go up for an infusion, my, my thought was if I'm taking my kids with me, you know, I don't want this to be scary, so we're going to celebrate every time we go to the infusion center. And so we started doing you know, videos, and we called them walkout videos. And the videos were, you know, they were, you know, with the MMA gym in, in, in our background and, and working with fighters, you know, um, we started to recreate the walkouts, you know, you'd have a famous walkout, like Mike Tyson has a very famous walkout, you know, and, you know, as they, as they walk through the crowd and go into the arena, and to me, that hallway was like that walkout, because you're going in to fight for your life, and so we had fun with it, and so we would start to, you know, um, find famous walkouts, like, you know, Nick Diaz, or Anderson Silva, or Conor McGregor, and we had a lot of fun with it, we would do these walkouts, we'd always call it Fight Week. And um, when I saw this, I realized I've been doing this for like six months 
and every time it was celebrating fight week and we would do this infusion center, then I realized there was people that were seeing this that were offended by the fight week, you know, that I would say fight. And it wasn't directed specifically to me, but I knew by seeing people over commenting that they knew me. And so if that was their assessment. So it kind of hit me, you know, in a really strange way, because I was like, whoa, I didn't know that, you know, the way we were approaching so you it. a personal comment from somebody or some comments from individuals about, I mean, from a local level, about yeah, so relating was, cancer to a fight? Yeah, so it was a local, um, a local, um, you know, like group or whatever, but the people that were commenting were, you know, some of them were people I recognized. And so, you know, I, um, they, it wasn't directly toward me. They were just toward this article about fight. And since my whole thing was fight, I realized, oh, I'm offensive, you know. Um, and would you clarify that within yourself, that this journey at this point is, has been a fight? Well, it was the mindset. It's, you know, um, for me, it was, yeah, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for... And at that moment when I, I saw that article, and this might kind of bring some, um, you know, like a look into to a moment like that was, when I saw that, I was like, oh no, like I've offended my tribe of people in the cancer you know, world, this is, you know. Um, and so I saw some of the, the, the comments, and one of the comments was a girl, and, and it was, it was a, a measured and kind of neutral comment. It was nice, and, and I saw it, and so I, I clicked on it, and I saw that she, you know, lived here, and that she, you know, was, I hadn't seen her at the Fusion Center, but, you know, she had family, and and so I, I actually, you know, private messaged and, and reached out and said, you know, I saw your comment, and, you know, I've, I've been, you know, on this cancer journey. We used to fight all the time. I didn't know it was offensive, you know, to people, and she said, well, it doesn't offend me, and and so... Um, she said, I, you know, I see that you have kids and, you know, we're kind of on a similar journey as far as her experience was most of the people that she was in the infusion center with were, were older and, you know, she was, you know, um, in her thirties and, uh, had kids. And so she recognized that we were in a similar situation of having young families. And, and so, you know, I asked if I could call and so, um, we had one phone conversation, and this is interesting because I consider her a friend. And we had one phone conversation, and I saw her once, and didn't speak to her because it was after a, a chemo treatment, and, and she looked like, a, you know, it was a, a rather brutal one. And I, I wanted to go say hi, but I didn't want to go and say hi right after. Uh, and you know, when she passed, I never had a chance to uh, to speak to her in person. But on that phone call, we talked, and and you know, I asked her about her journey, and and um, and we arranged a phone a phone call, and, and in that time, she we had some mention of you know stories, so she had listened to um, a couple stories of mine, and and so when we we talked, you know, I kind of asked her how things were going, and she you know she said that there's no cure for what she her cancer and. There will be a cure, but not in her lifetime. And so she was preparing for, for you know, the inevitable. And, and uh, you know, so we had conversations about, you know, I said, how's your husband doing with that? And, you know, she talked about, you know, how she was leaving some of the 
chores to him, some things to kind of get him ready for when mm-hmm. she was gone. Wow. She could still make breakfast, but she, you know he would, yeah. or laundry, so it wasn't just... Uh, and I remember at that time just thinking, I don't know, it never... I had, I had a, you know, my chemo was life extension with a possibility of a transplant that is a path to life. So I have a, I have a chance. And outside of a miracle, you know, she, she had no medical, um, medical uh, options. And so I remember kind of, you know, talking some, you know, like, about journaling because a lot of people say to journal and I don't I, I do it in story form and she's you know so we talked about that and I just remember her saying I'm not a storyteller but she had told me stories about you know her kids and about life and I realized well you are because I've already you know in my mind I'm like you are the things you're telling me now there's such wisdom in but I knew I think what she was thinking was I you know, I, I can't get in front of a crowd like a public speaker and so, you know, I, I remember asking about, you know, if there's, you know, conversations, you know, like, do you have conversations about death with your husband? And, and she said uh, they hadn't yet, that she wanted to, but he wasn't ready. And, you know, I thought about that. And I was like, man, you know, what was, a, was her, this lady, was she at the time of the time machine or was she? prior to the time she was prior okay. and so when she said when she said that I thought what a like how do you navigate that you have something that things that you want to say that are important to say and important for someone to hear but they're also in the middle of it and they might not be able to hear those things right now and still function as they're working and doing things and going what a dilemma to go, you know, what what happens if 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 somehow those are left unsaid? What would happen if if by chance you know you go in the night and never know um, and never have that opportunity to say the things you wanted to say? And remember when we got off the phone, you know, she, she was so inspiring and and she's strong. And I remember her saying this: she goes, "I'm not offended by about you saying fight." She goes, "I fight every day." I fight every day for every minute that I can have with my kids and with my husband. And it was just so sweet the way she said it. And it was, but there was a power in it. She was like, yes, I fight. And everyone has a different cancer journey and everyone has different terminology. And and I don't begrudge that to anyone. Whatever their journey is, is theirs. And, um, but we fight. That's all I know. Like, I mean, and when I say we fight, it's like, you know, I fight against fear, anxiety, worry, don't allow those things because you know I serve a sovereign God who is in control and I'm unafraid and so we move forward you know the things we do I, I take care of myself of what I put in my body and I'm, I'm you know I've been working out and training for what I you know what is this fight that will be December start December 5th on Josiah's birthday we start treatment which will be the heavy radiation and and the chemo that leads up to to the transplant. And so I have a fighter mindset of going, you know, um, I remember we talked about this when I first pre-diagnosis, when we got, we had uh, that moment up in, um, at the Eastern Montana Bible 
camp. And we were up there, and my recollection was it was maybe previous to the actual diagnosis. I think it might have been in between where we were told, mm -hmm. go to, you know, your, you know, when the doctor, what I thought was a routine appointment, said, came back with the blood work and said, live in the present. And I remember walking outside. I actually went to the bathroom for a second, I think right when the doctor came in and mentioned, you know, cancer. And then when I came in, I just got live in the present. So I was like, well, maybe that's just a, you know, good advice for everybody. And so I was like, then went outside and I was asked my wife, you know, cause I wasn't, you know, I thought that might be, hey, your time is short, but I was like, ah, maybe not, I, I feel great. So, um, I came out and she said, you know, I remember asking my wife, what do you, what do you think? And she was like, I don't want to do this alone. And um, so we went from you know, just feeling healthy then to having this, you're going to, you know, an oncologist and you know, have a bone marrow biopsy and you're going to find out what's going on. But because of some of the things in the diagnosis, I heard of somebody that had a similar symptoms that were given a couple months to live. And so in my head, I, I just braced myself that it might be two months. Or I might go to the doctor and he's gonna sit down and say you have two months. So in my head, I just, I put that as a possibility. And so, you know, I, you know, I wasn't sure. And I remember when we were talking, I, I thought to myself, you know, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this? Like how am I gonna walk through this? And, and I remember mentioning to you, um, Gladiator is that moment where Maximus is in the like that dark tunnel about to head out into the uh, arena as gladiators and they don't know what they're facing and I just remember so clearly there was the we, we had this conversation there was the guy the prisoner ahead of him that the camera panned down and he, he wets himself and and then they go to Maximus and he's laying out a plan to fight you know and when they go out the first the guy that wet himself was the first guy to go and um and they fought and they against the odds were able to they were they were meant to die in that arena but they you know he was a he was a soldier and he came in and he fought and, they, and he survived and um i remember telling you don't let me be the guy that wets his pants like i don't know what's going to happen when that gate goes up i don't know what the diagnosis is and what we're facing but i remember said i remember telling you like if i ever get weak just make sure I fight, you know? So, the truth about the fight thing though is it's kind of just a mental thing because really the fight is not mine, it's God's. My days are numbered according to his will. So, but I think it is is, is fighting through any of the fear or the, the you know, when treatment is rough or, or, you know, we've had five, I think that was six friends in this journey go um so the the fight mentality is like the, like the other so we had a family meeting uh, yesterday and it was to talk to the kids about what's coming because we talked to them two years ago but we didn't talk to them you know they've been going it's been normal for them to go to the hospital and because we handle it the way we do include them in the, the fight videos and and you know it, they, they love chemo week because it means more time you know with nana 
or if they come, you know, because they can't not, they can't come with us anymore because of, of the restrictions at the hospital. So it's more time with Nana, and um, you know, because it's a lot going on, they get a little more game time. <laughs> and so, so they love chemo week. And so when we say this will be the last chemo week, in here the kids are like, whoa, no, the last one. We're like, doesn't mean you don't get Nana time. It's just, you know. So realize they've come to enjoy that, which was the point of going, let's, I want to celebrate this time. So when they look back, they will see that their dad was unafraid, um, that we walked through this, you know, um, with the proper spirit, you know. And, and so when we were talking to him last night, we had to t- tell him, uh, you know, a little more because, and I ha- and honestly, I haven't thought of these things. Cassidy um, called her friend Kira. And um, she has a um, company, Aspen Angels, it's for grief. Uh, and she asked her, you know, they had a conversation about maybe ways to engage the kids. And so, so Cassidy, you know, walked through that and, um, and you know, at, told them this is what's going to happen. We're leaving. And they, they know we're going to be leaving for a while. We've been, in fact, we had a, a year ago thought we were get rescheduled so we kind of had a run through and they know this is coming but now it was that conversation of and and you had asked me this before said have you have you told them of the possibilities you know because it was I think very wise for you to say if if I was a kid I would want to consider what they would want to know in case it doesn't go our way and I don't come home they may have a bitterness that they didn't know the gravity of it mm-hmm. and so um, so you know Cassidy mentioned walked through the you know the, the body and what was happening in my body and how my you know my workers and my factories weren't working anymore and they needed to be replaced and um, it would be a transplant and, and that Paul would Uncle Paul would, would be coming and would be donating, and so they had questions about, you know, about that, and uh, some pretty funny off-the-wall questions about things, but, you know, Cassidy did, you know, mention, well, Daddy will, um, you know, th- this will be a, a more intense chemo and radiation, and he will look different, and he might look different, he's going to lose all his hair, and he's going to lose his eyebrows, and his the hair on his arms and so they're rubbing my arms and like you know like uh, laughing I'm covering my eyes to show what it might look like and um she's you know there was moments where Cassidy would you know she was saying you know they would ask questions she goes well this isn't this isn't our you know, this is not our favorite you know and, and in my head I would say this is my favorite and then she would say, you know, we're not looking forward to this, you know, favorite, which is true, but like in my head, it's like that fighter mentality of going, no, 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 you know, this is, I'm ready. And so part of the fight part is, is to, for me, is to go, to go into it willingly and knowing that God's in control, but also that, you know, I'm not afraid. Um, you know, I saw Tristan was a little bit, he said, I, I, I don't want to, Cassie asked if, if, if there were questions, and I can't remember exactly how she said it, but Tristan was like, I don't want to think about this. So Gideon was, you know, Josiah 
was just coloring and asking questions, you know, about other things in his five. Um, but you know, Gideon was a little, you know, he was asking some questions, but it seemed like Tristan understood the gravity of what she was talking about. At least you could see it. Well, she understood that, you know, because they were saying, well, what happens if it doesn't? You know, what happens if uh, the transplant doesn't take, you know? So, you know, we have to talk about, you know, the things that uh, all things, their verse for this week are all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so, you know, we've got to talk about how God is sovereign, is in control, and my days are numbered according to his will, and and whatever it is that he has for us, you know. So we, you know, we had a conversation about that. And I did ask, Cassie did, you know, incredible job walking through. And I just was, she had a, the Bible verse was in a piece of paper that they were, we were coloring. And I was, my, my fingers still hurt because <laughs> I was coloring so like hard to kind of keep, <laughs> you know, off of, uh, maybe, uh, but, you know, when it was done, Cassidy asked me if I had any other questions and, or anything to say, and had a few little things and didn't quite know of going, what do you, you know, how much do I give a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 5-year-old? Do I want to leave? and going to be gone for five months? Because just to, just to clarify, I mean, that's, that's where you're at right now. That was the reason for the whole discussion is because where you're at in this journey now is you're, you're going to leave and you're going to be gone from your family. Yes. So, I mean, continue, but just a little more clarity as to what this next five months looks like, which, you know, the reason for this conversation. Yeah, so the family meeting was to give them the, you know, the kind of the layout, you know, of we'll be leaving... November 3rd or 4th and we'll be going to Seattle they'll be staying here and so she told you know she told them kind of you know Tristan you'll be staying with with your auntie you know Gideon and uh, Josiah you'll be staying with Nana and you'll be staying together sometimes you'll be staying separate but there'll be times where you're all together there's times where you know someone will be at the charrettes and you will move around and you'll have aunties and uncles that would come and, and do things with you. Uh, they decided that there would be a few days where they would come here so they would have certain days. They had, she was giving them options. If you double up your homework, then you can have a day off and that day off you can come here and, and just uh, have that normalcy of coming to your own home and playing with your own toys. So is the thought of that. And so they were just kind of laying out the nuts and bolts and for the first time, you know, because Tristan would always be excited about the leaving because that meant that she might be able to go out and stay with auntie and be around kitties. And so, but for the first time, she was like, I don't, you know, I don't want you to go. And Josiah called the boat and said, who doesn't, who wants them not to go to Seattle? And they outnumber us three to two. So he called the boat, but it wasn't um, recognized as a, a binding boat, but it was cute. Um, but the idea was to let them know we're gone for five months. Here's what's going to happen. So Tristan, you know, so she's, so we're, you know, on the you know, December 5th, which is Josiah's birthday, we won't be able to be here with you. So 
letting them know, like, we, we will, Dad starts treatment that day so we can FaceTime you and so that way he knows what's coming and, and then, you know, but on December 10th, you know, was transplant and then she said Dad will be changing in his, he may look different and, you know, he may be, you know, sick, and, you know, and then she gave them the option, like, if Dad gets sick, how do you want to know? Do you want me to FaceTime you? Or do you want Nana to tell you? And, you know, sick. Implying that, you know. And uh, they said, well, I want you. Well, both. <laughs> you know, they were... So part of it was giving them choices of, if you get the news, how do you... If we are there and you're here, how do we tell you that Dad's dying? How do you want to hear that? Um, do you want it to be through Nana? Because she's there? Or do you want it to be through FaceTime? Um, so, giving some options so they can tell us maybe how they want to navigate this. And uh, so, and then also after that, you know, after the 10th, you know, I'm supposed to be in the hospital for a month, which would mean I'd be in the hospital over Christmas and New Year's. But she said, you know, it's if it's it's possible, you know, that if everything goes perfect and goes really great, that you know, the doctor did mention it is possibility, rare occasion that I could maybe be out by Christmas, which would mean then that you know, Cassidy would be able to come home. I would need to still be in Seattle because for three months after I leave the hospital I need to be within 30 minutes of the hospital so if anything happens we can be taken but then she would feel comfortable you know with someone being there and her coming back for Christmas to give the kids some normalcy there so part of it was saying these are they have to be fluid but these are what might be possible or hopeful for so it's really was kind of laying out to them both scenarios of we don't know what's coming but here are things we do know and things that may happen and and so after that maybe you know they my hope is that we can bring them to Seattle mm -hmm. uh, for the last three months um, before we assumed we would do that and then you know, that we would go for the first month get through all the intensive the, the biopsies and the new port surgery and uh, all the, you know, the, the classes and the things you need to know before, and then the, the week of heavy, you know, chemo and radiation, and then the transplant, and then the recovery, and then have them come. So they're not in the middle of all that. And then we kind of shifted that, well, maybe they're just really good for them to be here. And, um, and that's what I was thinking because, you know, that won't, but recently it's funny when you're getting close when the countdown, and I'm like, oh, my family there, you know? Because um, I see both ways, you know, to me, they're, we're together all the time, that it would be, be very foreign for us to be apart. You know, we've worked from home, you know, we've homeschooled, we've done all of, you know, we've had just, maybe Cassie and I have been gone for three or four days on a business trip once a year, a couple, you know, four, five, six times maybe, you know. So it's, this is definitely going to be a, 
a huge change for our family because we're, we're so close in how we operate. So, uh, so anyways, the, the meeting was for that. It was to let them know this is what's coming and also to give them, I did ask Tristan, she kind of drifted off in the other room and I said, well, Tristan, I said, you said that you didn't want to talk about it. Is the reason you don't want to talk about it? <laughs> Would you like to talk about why you don't want to talk about it? And she's like, no, thank you. And, um, and I just let her know if there's a time between now and before we go that you would, if you guys have any more questions, anything you want to say, you know, anything you're thinking about, you know, let us, let me know, let mom know. And so we were able to look at them now. Well, you know, you're, you're heading on this journey and we don't know what the Lord has planned for you. We don't know if you'll come through and you'll come out of there and he'll heal you through this medical way or if it's, uh, this will be the way he brings you home. But it's so near and dear. What, you know, you've got this opportunity within this time capsule. I mean, if, and this meeting that you guys had was just so close. What, you know, Tristan may think back to that meeting and maybe have a struggle with something because she wasn't able to talk to you. But because it's a time capsule, what, what do you, what do you have to, is there anything you can say to Tristan specifically and Gideon and Josiah? Yeah, the, Well, I love them, and I'm proud of them. You know, I think back to Gideon, you know, when he was born in, in Los Angeles. And uh, he came quick. He, uh, he came five weeks early, and he came uh, super fast. Uh, we didn't know that um, that morning we woke up, and Cassidy had some pain, and and I remember it was the first time that she had, you know, you know, acted anything different than she always had, which is an amazing thing that she was, you know, 35 weeks pregnant. And, um, and I remember that morning going, you know, it was a rough morning for her. And I'm like, man, this, this is how it's going to be for the next five weeks. <laughs> you know, um, I was so ignorant to everything. And, and um, we, we had that. So I said, well, let's go to the hospital. And she had a, this is my recollection, she had the, the uh, baby shower that night. And she'd been saying before that, oh, the baby shower is too, you know, pushing it you know, too far down the road. It's, it's too close. And so we went to the hospital in um, downtown Los Angeles. And um, we went and I thought, well, let's just, check it out, you know, and she's like, I'm fine. Go, well, let's check it out and then we'll go. That way there's no worries. Then we'll, we'll go to the, the baby shower. And uh, we got there and checked her in and, and um, I have to have her on and tell the story from her vantage point because it's much more descriptive and probably more accurate. <laughs> but here's what did happen is she got checked in and she went, she, you know, they separated us or she went into a room with a nurse and so I remember I texted, we um, texted um, Nana and Mom, and said, um, "Hey, we're at the hospital. Um, I think um, I think I uh, um, I think I texted Nicole too, or, or they texted between. But anyways, um, 
I know the moms, and I texted and said, we're at the hospital, everything's fine, we're just getting checked out, heading to the baby shower. And while I'm texting, all of a sudden I hear, I hear, Dawn, Dawn. And I'm like, I'm in a hospital in Los Angeles, I don't know a soul, <laughs> and it can't be me. And I turn around and I look, and there's, it's like right out of a movie, there, Cassidy's on a gurney with her, you know, all ready to go. <laughs> And they're racing down the hallway with her and going, come on, we're having a baby. And I was like, what? So we race in and like baby's coming right now, which again, I had no, I thought this was a small little checkup. And it happened so fast and furious that it was like 19 minutes later that they hadn't even, you know, the doctor hadn't even got there. I think they had like interns or, you know, (laughs) nurses and people jumping in and, I definitely have to have Cassidy tell that story because um, it's really fantastic when you hear from her vantage point. But he came, and it was like 19 minutes later. Here's my baby boy, and I remember um, I remember uh, getting text from the moms going, "Everything, this, this, don't worry. This is you know, it's routine. She'll be fine." You're like, and I <laughs> I texted back like. You know, he's here. And I think they thought I was kidding because I sent him a text, said, hey, we're just checking in, everything's fine. And then the next text, like 20 minutes later, was he's here. And so he came that way just fast and furious, Gideon Lee, Edward Corcoran. And um, I remember when they went to, you know, at that moment, they were going to take him in another room for whatever reason. And, and I was, no, I'm going with him. I remember going with him, and um, there was another baby there. It was by itself. And I, I remember, so I'm here with Gideon, he's just born, and um, there's this, the, you know, the nurse is back there, and I'm the only dad, well, there's only two babies, I'm the only dad, and, and, and I asked what that baby's, the other baby's name was, and I said, that baby doesn't have a name. And um, then they told me that that, that, that baby had, didn't have a home, and it was, and I remember that so clearly because it was this, here, I didn't want to leave even to go from the other room to separate from him and then to see this baby in this big city of Los Angeles all by himself and mm. wanted to take him too. Um, and I guess that never leaves where you just don't want to leave your babies, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so we, you know, we took him home and told Cassidy a few days later that, hey, what do you think about moving back to Montana? After for years telling her we're never leaving LA, this is where we live. She said, what? Like, what are you thinking? And I said, next Wednesday we have a truck coming and we're heading home. We need all our stuff in that truck. And there was something about having a baby that changed. I love LA and I loved my time there and I loved the people and, and the, you know, um, but when you have a baby like focus changes and I just wanted him safe and I wanted him around family and I wanted him back and so we came back here and um, you know I start to reflect back this happens with anybody I think as a parent but you know when you're facing you know what could be your last moments with your kids you know you start to when I see a, a fire hydrant I think of Gideon because his first friend was a fire hydrant. And uh, 
we lived, um, I'll forget the street now, but uh, across the heights here, Westchester. And we'd go for walks and, you know, he was just little and we'd go down to the end of the block and there was this fire hydrant and he would go put his arm around and he'd, we call it Gideon Ease. He would talk, jabber, he'd jabber and he'd sit there and talk to it like it was, like it was alive. And then I'd take pictures with him with his arm around the fire hydrant. And so it's, it's interesting to look back and, you know, when it was just him, when he would walk for the first time and he loved corn and I would just feed him corn like on the cob after. <laughs> and then only years later to find out he was allergic. <laughs> but he loved it so much that, you know, and you remember these little things. I remember when he took the Tonka truck down the, he rode that like evil Knievel down the steps of that, that, that uh, duplex we lived in. Like had a big old knot in his head. And I mean, I, w I went and looked down those steps and I wouldn't ride anything down it. And he, I don't know, he's three and a half. You were or scared but proud. Oh, dude, I was like, you got on a four wheeler and went over and down that. Um, so you know, you remember like the, you know, the, those things, and and then you know, I, I just remember with Gideon, both Robin, you know, my friend Robin and, and Pastor Ken, you know, they both they both separately, you know, told me. Um, without, you know, Robin without meeting him, and, and I think, I don't know if Pastor Ken had even met him at that point. But they both said to me, they said, be careful with this one, or be gentle, he has a soft heart. Like they both, separately, they didn't say, you know, Tristan and Josiah, we've had conversations, you know, I had conversations with both of them about them, but they said specifically about Gideon separately without knowing each other, you know. And I believe that was, you know, given to them by God to say he has, you know, he has a soft heart. And and I see that now as he's grown, you know, on that moment when he, when he, he said, I'll build you a time machine so I can come visit you whenever. Like there's those moments you remember people saying he has a soft heart and you see it, you know. Um, he's very tender. And um, he's so proud of me, so smart. And... Um, He's got this focused engineering mind. You know, he's always building Legos. And but what's amazing about Gideon is when he's around little kids, it makes me so proud that he protects and plays with like babies. And if there's a baby in the room, he's over there connecting with the baby. If they're a year, two years, three years, like he he has like this real softness in this in this. You know, he just loves babies and younger kids, and he, he like he protects them and connects with them. It's just really sweet. Um, Tristan will have a moment, and then she's off. <laughs> you know, like it's just like so. You know, he just um, he's just has a sweetness that is um, it's beautiful, and he he's very quiet, and he doesn't you know. He doesn't speak. Tristan talks more in the first hour of the day than he does all day long. And, um, but, you know, he, um, he will, he will say things and articulate things when he does that just floor you. I remember a couple of years ago, I actually recorded it because, you know, I, I take my phone in when I tell them stories and I, I record 
when I tell them stories. And I didn't do that at first, but eventually I started recording so I could, so they could have them. And um, one day we were in his room, or we're in the room, all three kids, it was before bed, and Josiah, he was three, so this was right after, right in the diagnosis time, I guess, maybe a little before diagnosis. But um, Josiah had heard the story at church about um, Jesus casting the demons into the pig, <laughs> into the pigs. And he was telling that story, and he was in a different Sunday school than Gideon and Tristan. But Gideon and Tristan had heard the resurrection story in theirs. So I think what was going on is Josiah was with his limited English <laughs> trying to recount what happened in Sunday school and he was telling the story of Jesus throwing, casting the, the, the demons <laughs> into the pigs. And the other kids were like, no, this is what happened in Sunday school. So they were kind of having a discussion. And I could tell that Josiah, what he was saying, but they weren't quite catching it. And, and it, was, it was so funny too because Gideon would start to tell what happened in, in the story he heard, and Josiah would go, My Bible says, <clears throat> and then Gideon would say something, and Josiah would go, My Bible says, and then he would give it. So Gideon, I realized a moment was kind of happening. So then Gideon came down from his, his bunk and came next to him, so I, I recorded it. And he must have given, I don't know, if it was at least five minutes, probably closer to ten. He recounted you know, the resurrection story and everything he heard in, in Sunday school. And it was, it was just spot on in sequence. And um, I was like, oh my goodness. Like, the, not only does he have a knowledge, not only does he recall, but like he understands. And, and so he laid that out. And, and so I, I noticed with him, um, his recall and, and how he appears at times to be on his own but like he's absorbing all of these things and so the other night we were we hear I was reading um was reading out of the Bible stories to him and uh it was the story of John the Baptist and so we're telling the story of when he baptized Jesus and Jesus was there and the Holy Spirit and you know um God the Father said this is my son I'm well pleased and they all were present and uh so I, I asked them some questions. I said, who was all there? And they were like, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father, and John, you know, the Baptist. And so they were telling it, and I thought, well, this would be a, a good moment. So I said, well, you know, there's, um, you know, some people will say that God is just God, and then he will manifest himself and become the Son, and then he'll manifest himself into the, you know, become the Holy Spirit, and then he'll manifest back, but he's just manifesting differently, but, you know, and as I'm telling this, Gideon goes, no, no, that's not right. <laughs> and so he goes, just a minute, and he has um, on bunny stories on his phone, and he also has uh, Adventures in Odyssey, he goes, just a minute, can I play this, do you want to hear this? And I said, okay, so he, he plays, and he goes right to this spot in a, in a story where in the Adventures in Odyssey they're talking about you know, someone saying who who the Trinity is, describing the Trinity. <laughs> and the one is giving one kind of similar to what I said. And as the guy saying, you know, he, you know, God manifests this way and that, he's like 
She's shaking his head. <laughs> no, no. And then goes to the next one and it's another wrong depiction of the Trinity and he's shaking his head. And then they give, you know, that God is, is one in three persons and, and then he stops it and he goes, that's what it is because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> and there's these moments where he'll just like come out and I was like, whoa. Um, so there's a boldness in him and there's a, you know, there's a, he, he has a, a love for, for things, you know, he'll, I'll, I'll tell him stories and he'll go, hey, can I go get my Lego Bible? And he'll come out and read it. And so I think of Gideon, I just think there's, um, so he's a wise soul and he's gentle and, um, I'm just proud of him and I love him and I'm, you know, no matter what happens, you know, the legacy of the time machine came through him. Um, the legacy of what we're doing now and what will go on in the future. Because if I don't come home, I'm going to ask you if you will continue this legacy of, of speaking to people in their cancer journey so they have a platform to, to tell their stories and to preserve their stories for, for their children. Because that's really what inspired it is when Jill said some of the things she said, I thought if we could have recorded our conversation mm-hmm. and her kids or her, you know, her husband, and, and I don't know, my hope and I, and, and I assume that they did have these conversations. I don't know that. But if they didn't, I think if, if, if they could just be a fly on the wall, and maybe if you're not able to hear it directly at the moment, sometimes you can hear sure. secondhand. And, and that's when I thought, of going, I need, I need to do the time machine because what happened, if we had recorded this, it would be preserved in, and so the time machine, you know, came from Gideon, and then from from this conversation with Jill, and so there's a legacy that comes through, through um, that conversation with Gideon. So that's, um, well, you know, as I, as I hear you speak, the thing that comes to my mind about what your legacy is all of this is a part of that, but really, to me, your legacy is, you know, if the Lord chooses to take you, is what your son has already said, what he's already shown, um, you know, by being able to, you know, accurately depict the Trinity and who Jesus is, and, and I mean, that's which is forever, you know, if, uh, four generations, three generations, no one will even know who Gideon was, more or less you, um, but, you know, to grow up in a home where they listen to Adventures and Odyssey, or you know, the Sunday school class, and their father who speaks to them, even this great podcast, as good as it is, and being able to listen, you know, this uh, tape will get lost, this will grow old, but that information he was given is really the legacy that, that you pass on to your kids. What time machine moment would you have for your daughter Tristan? Luckily... Well, Tristan, that's um, luckily I've told a story at um, story night that was very specific to to all three kids. I just just remember now. We never released that one, but I do have a story that was a story night. Um, I think of Tristan. She came at thirty three and a half weeks, and when she came, it was fast and furious, like Gideon. And only after that did we realize that Cassidy had, I guess they call spontaneous birth, which means right now, like no, 
there's no warning and then all of a sudden here comes a baby you got like you know and we did everything we got to the hospital did everything to stop that and still she came within two hours and she would have been there in two minutes had they not done all the precautions to, to try to keep her in and um so my you know my memories start with tristan in the hospital where here we are again and this is all happening and and um here we are in the hospital, baby comes, they try to stop. And then there's this moment with her that was, bless her heart, the nurse, you know, she just misspoke. But we're dealing with, okay, baby came, we're trying to keep baby in, we're gonna keep baby in. Oh, no baby's here, oh, now baby's gonna go to NICU. And like, what just happened? We just had a baby and, you know, had any warning and, and, I remember, you know, Nicole was there and really Nana, Nicole, Bobby was there, I can't remember. I was, you know, the strong man that had to sit down because I was dizzy. <laughs> I felt like I was getting sick and the girls just took took control. Um, they were just really, really good at um, that, those kind of moments. I <laughs> so anyways. So I was of no help and in, in, in probably needed, you know, um, medical attention myself. <laughs> um, but there was a moment where there was questions asked of what's next, you know, will the babies go to the NICU? And there was, you know, the, well, when the baby's in the NICU, you know, we, you know, you can have two visitors at a time. I think it was two visitors, um, you know, but there's no more than that. Well, and then she said, well, sometimes there's more, and that's, you know, because sometimes babies, you know, die, and if they do, more come. And I mean, as she was saying this, we just had this baby, and then, and bless her heart, she was just giving information. She, and, you know, but there was too much information at that moment, and I believe it was Nicole, I said, okay, thank you, that's enough. But I remember all of a sudden, just instantly, we have this baby, and instantly, I have now this thought of, you know, she might not come home. And so, and I did, I got, I actually got, was getting sick when that happened. Um, I was feeling it while we were in the process and I actually, I ran out, I was thinking I needed to go and, and um, before she was born, I was like, I was feeling sick. I thought, well, if I go get some nutrition in my body and, and you know, um, I needed an energy drink to kind of wake up. And, um, I was going, oh, I should go get it because I, I, I'm going to need it because I'm, I'm all of a sudden feeling really odd, feeling sick, feeling weak. <laughs> and so every five minutes, I'm like, you should have went. You're going to be back. You're going to be back already. <laughs> and so after about 45 minutes of this, I'm like, this is dumb. So I go out, and when I go out, baby's coming, and they're like, as I come back in, I hear Don Corker and Don Corker over the loudspeakers, like, <laughs> I'm missing it. So I had to run back up. <laughs> and, um, and get in, uh, get in right before baby came. And so um, because of that, I was nervous because she was in the NICU and I was getting, I could feel I was getting sick. So, and I did get sick, so I didn't want to, um, you know, hold her because I was afraid that, you know. And so that first, you know, 10 days, I didn't. And there was a point where they said you could, but I still didn't because I was just, you know, she's there in all these tubes and, and you know, I remember Nicole being there and all the, you know, the sisters were there, Bobby was there. and. And um, Nan was there, was around the clock. I think, you know, she might have been, Cassie would know, I think she, 
might have been eight days before she was by herself. Like there was someone with her. There was one moment where we all were outside in a room and realized, oh, this is the first time someone hasn't been with her. And they, you know, we thought at first that I think she would be there for over a month. And then she came out in 10 days. And, and but in that process, I remember looking at her and going and seeing, you know, I couldn't touch her. And, um, and I saw all these little tubes and I didn't know her. And it's so hard to, I don't understand how this is, but like I had such a deep, profound love for her. And I was, you know, I just remember I'd walk around that EQ and um, I would, um, um, I would walk around and I would, um, I would pray and I would, you know, I would ask the Lord that she would come home. But then I also had that understanding that she might not. And it's a very interesting place to be because I just remember I would pray and I'd be like, Lord, please, you know, if it be your will, you know, let us take her home. But if you don't, you know, we will love you and serve you anyways. And um, her birth and that, those moments brought me closer to God in a way that that only going through something like that can, only that possibility of, of losing her. And, and so bringing her home, it was different. I remember, I remember this, before, before she was born, for some reason I thought we were having a boy and not out of preference or not out of selection. I just remember Gideon. Before Gideon was born, the only name that kind of popped in my head was Gideon. I only had one name. And I wasn't even looking for a name to name him. And I just remembered Cassidy saying, you know, we need to think of a name. She says, what do you think of Gideon? And I was like, that's crazy. I've been thinking of that name, Gideon Lee. Gideon Lee ever court, and we named him. And so then, you know, um, Josiah had popped in my head, and um, for some reason, because a name came to me, I thought, well, it's going to be a boy, <laughs> you know? And um, so in my head, that was the only reason I wasn't pining for a boy. I just, for some reason, I'm like, oh, this is how it works, you know? It's going to be a boy, so I hadn't prepared myself. And I remember Nana and, and Cassie went in to get the, what do they call it? I never remember the, when they, the sonogram? I always say it wrong. Whatever the deal is when they check to see what sex. You're asking the wrong man. Yeah. That's what happens when you get two guys talking baby stuff. Our wives take care of that stuff. <laughs> so anyways, in the great reveal moment, we're there. And, and I remember Nana was there in, in Cassidy and they said, you're, you're having a girl. And it was the very first time that I ever considered it. And it was for no reason other than I just hadn't considered it. I never thought. I thought it was going to be a boy for that reason, and I had never considered it. So that was the exact moment for the first time I ever hit me or ever thought about what it would be to have a daughter. And I got up and I left the room, and I, Nana and I think and Cassidy thought I was you know, upset, like, I wanted a boy, I'm out of here. But what happened was, as soon as they said, you're having a girl, it was like a thousand pounds of weakness just got like shoved in my heart and I couldn't breathe. And I got up and I had to leave because I'd never considered that and it was different. 
than, than having a boy. I love my boys and, and I love my daughter. It's just different. I don't know how to explain it other than I just felt like the shock into my heart and I had to leave the room. And um, and then, you know, in the hospital when we thought that, you know, we might lose her, um, it just, uh, it's just a different place. So she's, um, she's so beautiful. She's pretty like her mama and she's an artist. And she, um, She's talented. She's smart. Um, she can be. Uh, she always has a counter argument, instantaneously. So I think she can get into litigation. Um, <laughs> she definitely has some lawyer in her. Like she's quick, 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 quick with. Um, she loves horses, and um, I've been having a few conversations with her lately, and. So I'll tell you this, there's a story that comes before it, but sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like I'm going to come back. I really do. And there's ways that things happen that I feel like God's reminding me of, you know, there was about, I'll bring this back to Tristan because we had this conversation. It was about seven years ago, maybe. Um, you know, we'd come back from Los Angeles We'd already, you know, we'd lost everything, you know, taken, sold everything that we owned and put it into that gym. And, and um, it was, you know, we did that because it was a calling. felt God clearly just instruct me in what to do, and it seemed crazy. And people are like, if you do that, you know, you could lose everything. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to protect me. Whatever God has me do, if I lose everything, I lose everything that's... It's his. It's not mine. And so we had, so I took my wife through the two years of, you know, of slowly bleeding every last dollar before we got married. So by the time we got married, it was, you know, into a total loss of everything. And, you know, when we had Gideon in Los Angeles, we came back to a 400 square foot renovated garage. I lost the gym and lost, you know, over a quarter million dollars in that process. And, and um, you know, we were, we were ready to start. <laughs> you know, that's how we started our marriage. And so with that, there's a whole story behind that. With that in mind, a couple years later, we're here. And, um, you know, I think it, it might have been two, two, three years after that. And we're driving up in, from Columbus up toward Nye. And I, as we were driving, I was seeing all these horses and, you know, ranches. And I never, I've, rode, I've rode a horse a couple times, loved it. It was great, but, I, you know, just a few times. It had been, you know, probably 15 years before. And I had no knowledge of horses. And I remember I saw that, and I just felt the same way I felt when I felt God called me to start the gym. That seemed crazy. I just... I said, Abe, I said, I think God's calling, I think, I think he's calling me to, I think we're going to end up having horses in a horse ranch and working with, with trauma kids. And she, um, <laughs> she looked at me like, are you out of your mind? And, I, and then <laughs> she was, you know how expensive those are? I'm like, look, I don't got any money. I already lost it all. So like, <laughs> so I'm not. I have none, so this would have to be a God thing. God would have to do this. Um, but I, it was just so clear. And then I remember we came back down 
and we were going through the Columbus, and I just met Jessica. You know, you know, you know, we were just a few months in to being friends with her, and we stopped to talk to her because she lived in Columbus. And uh, I, I told her, I said, "Man, you wouldn't believe this. I had this, you know." And she had already kind of known the story. I told her the full story of the gym at that point. And so it made sense to her, you know, when I would say, yeah, I felt God called me to do this. And I said, we're driving up, you know, this way, and I saw these horses, and I felt we were going to, I just felt clearly God would just play something like you're going to be working with horses and the trauma kids. And she goes, shut up. <laughs> and then I told her a little more, she goes, shut up. She's 21 at the time, and that's like, you know how you talk? <laughs> she goes, that's my dream. That's been my dream since I was a little girl. And so then she gave me this book called Hope Rising. After I told her this story, I go, and it's a girly book. And on the front, there's a girl, <laughs> like, laying on a horse. And I thought it was, like, this little, you know, like, teenage girl, like, horse novel, you know? And I'm like, I'm not reading this. And so it stayed on my on my uh, on my uh, end table for a long time. And one day I picked it up and started reading it. When I read it in the first, my recollection has been a while, but I think it was that first chapter where there was a kid that you know he was abused, and he was taken out to this you know his he was taken out to a ranch, and and they were taking him in, and he had, you know, his teeth had been knocked out, and his dad would. They were recounting the story of how his dad abused him and how he had would like fire a gun near him just to you know terrify him and um and in the, in the, he came in and then he I'm thinking what this is not like the cover you know and um this gut wrenching story of this young boy and then you know when the chat you know coming into this ranch and then the next chapter it just flips into some other story I'm like what is this you know. And then I realize, I look at the back, and I'm like, oh, this is a real place. And they're, like, chapter by chapter telling the story of kids that are coming to this ranch. And it was, I think it's uh, Hope's, uh, Crystal, Crystal Peaks Ranch in Oregon. My daughter will correct me if, if I got that wrong. But, um, and so I read the book in the, in, the, in the story, and again, it's been a long time, so I might have some of the details off, but my recollection was that the... Um, the lady that wrote the book, her, her mom and dad, um, her dad had tragically killed her mother and then killed himself. And, and um, she, I think she was 10 maybe or something. And, and then she had been coupled with a horse and she had this bond with this horse. And, and then um, you know, she, she came to know the Lord and she got married. And then they go and they buy this, this piece of land and um, spruce this land up and then they start to take in horses that are abandoned or are are beaten or you know um you know left to dead neglected and they bring them in and then they they they, the ones not all of them you know make it but they were able to bring some back to health and then they they bring in they would start to bring kids in and kids that were abandoned and horses that were abandoned would be like you know, introduced and they would have this bond and this healing process would come to these kids through this equine therapy, which I'd never heard of, didn't know anything about. Didn't think I invented it that day. I just never heard of it. I just, and I didn't even know that horses, you know, were used that way. I just remember going, I think we're going to be working with trauma kids and horses. And um, 
so now I'm reading this book of like, this is a real thing. This is equine therapy. This is what they do. And I'm like, whoa, that's, you know. So read that book and, and I would, you know, I remember telling you, I told a lot of people, like, I just feel like eventually God will, you know. And so for years I would tell stories about, you know, about that possibility. And then one day it just stopped. And it was kind of just in the past of, you know, a couple of years of, you know, um, of talking about that and then gone and like maybe five years went by and a couple months ago I was talking with Jessica and I said hey I think that horse thing's coming back like all of a sudden you know I'm talking to nurses that you know work with horses and their dream is to work with you know kids and 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 horses and healing and and then I'm you know Wes, I'm talking to Wes about his piece of land and you know, it was a place of healing for him and other friends that had a similar dream that God placed on them that they'd be working with 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 horses and with, with kids. And so all these things started coming back around and, and, and so I'm like, well, I have no control over this, but it just, it's kind of like a tapping on the shoulder all the time, it seems with, you know, just every conversation seems to go to this all of a sudden. And so... I talked to Jessica and she ends up now five, or maybe six, seven years later from that time. She uh, just moved to Oregon in the last you know month to go to Crystal Peak, you know, youth, youth ranch, Crystal Peak Ranch, and, and um, she went there to intern and to and to work with kids. So now after all this time, she's going, and um, so she's there now and. You know, um, after seven years, this happens, and and so it brings me back to Tristan. The other night, you know, a couple weeks back, we were talking, and and it came up with horses, and she, you know, she has, she collects briar horses, and you know, always talking Appaloosas and this horse and that horse and all the names, and I'm, this is a quarter horse, this is a gelding, this is, and so she's she knows all this stuff about horses, and this has been going on since she was little, and she, you know, she draws horses, she does all this. So we were talking and she said, um, we're talking about praying for things. And I said, well, I think we could pray for, you know, horses. We need a, you know, she wanted to put a horse in the backyard when she was like four or five. <laughs> and so she's always been planning on how to get a horse. And, and so I said, well, I think it's okay to pray for that. I said, you know, if, if, if you follow God and you, and, 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 and you let him direct your path, you know, he, Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart if you follow him. I feel like he will give you that. And so if, if you're feeling that, maybe maybe that's, I said, I think it's okay to, to pray for, you know, horses and maybe a place that we could have them. Um, but I said, you know, as long as it's God's will and he plants things on you, I said, I think that's really important. And so she prayed the other night for horses. And she said, she prayed and she asked, you know, asked God for horses. And when she prayed, she goes, you know, she prayed for horses that we could have, you know, where we could, you know, have some some horses and then we could bring, you know, um, kids that don't have parents or that, you know, have been abused or, you know, or hurt. They could come and they could be with the horses and it would help them and they could feel the way I feel when I'm with the horse, when I'm on a horse. And she, you know, prays for this. And I was like, I was like wow, that sounds like what... I had talked with Jessica about years ago, and I realized as she's doing this, I'm like, did she overhear us? And now she's repeating this. 
And I was like, no, there's no way she would have been like three, you know? And so I, when she was done, I was like, hey, <laughs> I was like, where'd you get that from? And she, what? And I said, well, the whole thing with, you know, working with kids and, you know, and she was, well, I was listening to this Adventures in Odyssey and she said, you know, um, oh, she, she had said this, she said, she had said we we could have a place like like Crystal Ranch, and I was like, where'd you get that name? And she goes, what? I go, was that in the Adventures Zone? She goes, no. She goes, no, it was in like a, a, a after the story story. And she goes, yeah, there's a place Crystal. And I'm like, what? And so she she goes, yeah, this is a ranch where they take kids that are you know have trauma and they pair them with horses. And she gives the whole thing. And I was like, this was totally separate from me totally separate and I was like my goodness I think of things like that and so then I told her I said you know the dad years ago I felt God placed that on me that it would work some way with with trauma kids and horses and and she goes yeah we can bring people with disabilities or with cancer and she has all these plans of, of doing it and when I hear things like that and I even told her I said you know God gave me a, a dream like that years ago and it, it I haven't talked about it forever. And now you are. And I said, that makes me think that God's kind of, you know. So I said, I, I, I believe that's, you know, I believe that's God. And we'll see. And so I hear those things. And so when it's, I feel like God is kind of reminding me through the dreams he's given Tristan of the dreams that he gave me that I had no, nothing about horses or nothing about that. So and there's those this. kind of things give you hope. He's going to take you through. It gives you that. It gives you that hope. And so, Tristan, there's a, it's a long way around. So I want to, with, to kind of go back to her. Little picture up on the wall of her as a baby. Um, so, this dream that God gave me all these years ago of something he planted on me, now he's done with her. And it's, um, it's a beautiful thing, whether I'm here or not. And I really, you know, I believe, you know, I will be, but I also think it's important to share that story because um, I know there's a lot of people that could use here in, in, in our area a place where of healing and a place, um, I've, I've thought that with, the, with the, the people that go up to the infusion center and need a place to stay. And so that's a dream. We'll, we'll get to that another time, but that's, just one of the other ways where God works. So when I look at Tristan, she's just, she's so beautiful. She's so talented. She's so smart. Um, she's ambitious. And she's just, she's a, she's been working since she was five years old, saving money. She told me that, you know, she, when we was last year, said, started talking about a horse. And then she laid out her plan. She goes, Dad, if I start saving money now, I think when I'm 13, she was eight at the time, when I'm 13, I can buy a horse. And so I love that she has been working multiple jobs and saving money for years. And so she has work ethic. She's always looking for jobs. When I offer jobs to the kids, if there's a job opportunity, she's always, me, I'll do it, what, what is it? <laughs> so like she's first. <laughs> and um, and she, oh yeah, she has, a, she has an incredible work ethic and she always wants to be involved. She always wants to go. She's adventurous. Her spirit, she always, she always, if you go out and do something with her, 
she always needs to do five or six things. It's got to be one more thing. And so she just has this, this appetite for, for, for life. And um, I love that about her. So, um, but she's very strong and she's very bold. And um, you know, my life, um, when we brought her home, it was, it was one of those things that- She softened the old chisel, didn't she? Exactly. And that is Tristan. Well, what time machine, uh, machine moment do you have for Josiah? Josiah, that's uh, that's funny because he was the only one that actually didn't come early <laughs> because he uh, he was. We now had found that after Tristan, that our babies come fast and that um, a spontaneous birth could happen at any time. So from twenty-seven weeks on, we were you know super cautious and, and it was a very rough pregnancy for Cassidy because the first two you didn't know and now we're pregnant and realize you know these things what was unknown before now was out in front of you and so there's you know things you know have unwanted you know fears or worries you know about things and so we were in the hospital Anytime there was a twinge, because we realized if she has a baby at 27 weeks and it's at home, you know, I mean, it's hard having a baby premature at the hospital, so we, we understood that. So we were doing progesterone shots, I think, if I remember, if that's what they were called, and I would administer those to her, which was a very bonding moment between the husband and the wife, um, especially because of the first time they, they, uh, they asked me to try it. I didn't ask them how to do it, and I thought you just poke. <laughs> um, I learned there's a way that you. <laughs> um, so Josiah, you know, we were 27 weeks, I think 20, 29, 31, 32. Like we were continually at the hospital, um, making sure to keep him in. And then he ends up going almost full term. And um, he just, from, from day one, you know, Josiah David, um, he he just brought like a joy. He's just been such a he's just brought joy. It's been that way from the time he arrived. And uh, it's funny because all the kids will will look on Facebook and they will go a photo will come up from a year ago or two years or three years. And the Gideon and Tristan, you can see they look different. But you look at him, he looks the same um, until you go back to about a year. <laughs> And so he has that same little cherub face. So um, he's been not only a, a, a joy, but he's he's kind of stayed the baby for, for a long time. And and he um, it's funny because you know he was we hadn't. I remember that the burden at first of worry of of you know of the pregnancy, and then the joy he brought when he came. It's just. You know, you look back at life before, and you can't even imagine you know life without Josiah. And um, he's got a warrior name, Josiah David. Um, and uh, after King Josiah, and uh, him and Gideon both have all three of them do. Gideon, Tristan, Gideon from the Gideon story, and Tristan, the, the sound of means the sound of, of swords, the clanging of swords before battle, and then Josiah, um, all warrior names, and um, 
he seems to, I think, my kids, whatever they choose, it's fun to watch their path. Um, Josiah's the first one, I think, that's emerging as kind of the athlete <laughs> with, uh, um, I think they're all athletic, but he has this, uh, he's competitive. <laughs> he's got the, uh, a little bit of a temper. He doesn't go his way. He's the most like you so far. Well, we always say when those temper comes out that, you know, it's short fuse Dave Riley coming out in them. And <laughs> the joke in my house always when, when the anger comes out, it's like, oh, there's, there's short fuse Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so he clearly has that makeup. So that that's a time capsule moment for Dave. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's just a joy and uh the other night <laughs> he has a thing where he uh, he's such a mama's boy right now it's so it's adorable but it gets frustrating <laughs> because i'll be upstairs with the fridge open holding orange juice and he will run downstairs into the office which is you know like a 45 second <laughs> excursion to get Cassidy to come up to pour more juice. <laughs> and so I'll catch him. I'm like, where are you going to get mom? I'm like, what for? And I asked mom something. <laughs> what for? And he, I want, you want more juice. And I'm like, I'm right here. And so, you know how that goes. They always want their mom to do it. And so I've been trying to break him because he, he does it all the time. It just, you know, mom can be juggling seven things, dad holding what he needs, and he's going to go have her do it. So the other night, <laughs> he's in bed. And um, I'm reading to them, and then they always want an excuse to get up. Can I go to an ice pack, or can I get some water? And so he goes, can I go ask mom something? I said, no, just what do you need? Can I go ask mom something? Said, Josiah, what do you need? And he wants water. And I'm like, so go and grab it, go, Josiah, why can't you ask me to get it? I'm right here. He goes, because I love mama more than I love you. <laughs> and, it, and he was crying when he said it. And it was so honest and so raw. And he's like, because I love mama more than I love you. And I just filled me up. It was so precious. And I went out and I told her, like, you need to go in there. Um, he's a mama's boy right now. Um, and it's adorable. And that's why I told someone to know, didn't that hurt your feelings? I'm like, no. He loves his daddy. It was just this sweet, he just, he just loves his mama. And um, I'm just proud of him. Like he's, uh, because he's the youngest, like he has to endure the most from the older ones. And he's got to kind of elbow in to kind of get his place at the table. And um, so uh, he had soccer this year and uh, he, um, he went out and, you know, the old, Gideon played soccer for one year and he went and did it and he was good at it. He just wasn't his preference. Like he, you know, and um, so we took Josiah and from the time he stepped out there, he's like, oh, I love this. And he runs around and he's like focused and he's competitive. And when they, when his team scores, he celebrates it. And when they get scored on, it's like, you know, and it's so fun to watch because he is so invested, you know, and so it's fun to watch him like enjoy and, and compete and so we'll see what happens my kids whatever they decide i you know you never know where it will end up but 
he looks like he, he may have a competitive athletic future because he uh, he gets so invested. Um, his you know his name you know, he's named Josiah David Edward Corcoran, so named after after Dave. It's um, and after you know my dad, all, my, both my boys are giving me Edward Corcoran and Josiah David at Corcoran. So um, that's a, a tip to the to the short fuse <laughs> to um, to Papa Dave, and um, and then I just love the the story of Josiah because it's it's a story of of a king who who. Um, when he realized things were not as they should be, you know, repented before the Lord and then went and set things right and was a warrior and died that way. And it's just uh, such a powerful story. And I just see that that power, you know, in him. And um, his birthday is December 5th. It'll be the first birthday that we don't have together with any of our kids. But I think it's significant that the time machine came through Gideon and that God placed this story of or this dream of of helping facilitate. Like I told my wife, I said, I think we'll be the point of contact for bringing people together to do a horse ranch and, and to help, you know, that. Um, so there's a significance of the way Tristan is interweaved into to that story, and then now, you know, Josiah is the is the great warrior king, and we start on the great battle on the on his birthday, and so there's always these like kind of like a roadmap and these things. So I think it's as much as I would love to be here, I think it's it's um, perfect that. Start the fight for life and the path to life starts, you know, on his birthday. And um, when we draw on that type of absolutely. power to, to go, and it's in God's hands, but absolutely in his hands. But, you know, I also believe that there's things that I can do, you know, to be prepared. I've been getting to fight weight and lifting, and <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting in middleweight. It was down to the 172. And I was kind of leaning out. Now I've put on the muscle to get to that 185, and and um, that's more gonna, ice cream. <laughs> but it's got to be lean. I got. I have to. I, I need. It's not about weight. It's about muscle. But um, ice cream with peanut butter. <laughs> yes, and and, and 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 much workout. Um, but um, you know that that day starts. You know the day that we you know, we be in this fight, and so I just think it's real significant that there's markers with all three of my children and. Um, and um, you know that's Josiah. So sure. we're starting on the fifth, and, and that's the uh, that's the day that starts it. Well, and I would say, you know, last but not least would be your beautiful wife, your rock. Um, and I know that you know uh, this uh, time machine, you know, kind of encapsulated a little bit for each of your your kiddos, but you know the the engine that could, the one behind you. You know, what do you, what do you have for her? It's the love of my life. Absolutely. Um, you're lucky. Very lucky. Lucky dude. I 
I sat here with Pastor Ken and, and we did a, a Time Machine podcast and and we he you know talked about Martha and what she was for him for his life and and um, talked about we talked he would always tell me you know you listen to your wife Don <laughs> and he would look at me with those like I mean I knew it was more than just the throwaway mm-hmm. and he would like you listen to your wife Don God put her in your life there's things that you don't know and you won't see because I listen to my wife God put us together for a reason and there's when my wife because she doesn't speak much but when she does I listen because you know God gives her things and she you know we're a team and he would always always remind me of that and and um he would get on me at times when he could tell maybe I was lacking in <laughs> being a proper husband you know um he always would seem to know if uh and so what he would we would talk about is just the um the gift of a godly wife and my wife is she's stronger than most of the men I know I'm talking stronger in faith I'm maybe in the pulpit she's strong she's unwavering in her faith and she's you know she's went through the fire with me you know when we got diagnosed it was um Or when we got our first, that first, uh, I think it was July 5th, if I remember right. She would know, but when we had that first doctor's appointment, when they said live in the present, we, uh, it took me a while and it went outside and we kind of asked her. And when she said to me, when she said, I don't want to do this alone, that's when I realized, okay, this is, I didn't miss anything in there. This means, you know, this means we're on a dangerous journey now. And um, we got in the car and left and picked up the kids. We were going up to the Bighorn to meet with, with you guys and the other family, which was, you know, God's providence, I think. Here it is. We've never done that. It's the only time we've went. No, we did. We went up. We went up for Father's Day stuff. Um. But you know, we went up there and you know, we drove up there and didn't, you know, we went and picked up the kids. We we're already heading out, so we didn't get we talked a little bit, but they're in the car. So we got we got there and, and once everybody kind of got settled with the kids, we went for a walk and you know, we were holding hands and we were walking and um and I just remember saying, Well what do you you know what do you think, babe? Which, you know, those are those You've seen these in movies where you watch these conversations and things happen between people and then like, you're in it. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, we're having the life and death talk. You know, like, I've seen this in movies and this is not a movie. This is our life. And I said, what do you think, babe? And she said, I'm not scared. She goes, oh, I'm not mad. I don't think God, you know, screwed us or anything. She goes, uh, I might cry, but I'm not afraid. She said, I just, uh, just wish the young Don never prayed that prayer. 
and I paused because I wasn't sure that she was, and I said, what, what prayer was that? And she said, you used to pray, Lord, put me in dangerous places. Put me in places others don't want to go. Just kind of gave it a second. And I said, well, why do you say that? She said, because it's always been that way for us. And it had. From the time we got married, we were engaged and we had, she was working before we got engaged. We were working together on that project. She had left her job. She had left pursuing acting, which was her dream. She dreamed of being a mother and being an actress. Those were the things. And she left that to come work for free with me um, to build this dream they got to give me about building a gym that made no sense in the world to anybody but me. And it didn't make sense to me either. I just knew I was called to it, so we did. And she came along, you know, didn't even, we were, you know, she supported me through that and was, you know, she worked and brought in money while we, I was trying to do that. So she worked there and then she worked at night, even pregnant. She worked while I was recovering, you know, from losing everything. It was, one of those things you look back on and not proud that I wasn't able to do more. Um, but here she is pregnant, working and, um, and providing, you know. So we went through a lot in that process of losing everything, you know, death threats and hostile takeover of the gym, all those crazy things. It's a whole other story. Literally putting her in, you know, us being in situations of danger and loss and then, you know, two creamy babies and, you know, another business that we started and put our hearts on and lost and, you know, all, both those became huge blessings and did not change them because it was just one more way that God directed us. But at the time, you know, and took her through, a, a, you know, we were in, I was in a car accident right before Josiah was born, and felt like God had me not take a settlement, and, which I wanted to do, and to go to court, and we went in, and, and we were totally in the right, <laughs> we were just sitting in the car and got hit, and um, ended up at the end of it, the losing, <laughs> and we're coming home to her, you know, early December and said, babe, it didn't go our way. So we owed them $30,000 for crashing into us. In fact, some of the money that they paid for the hospital for bills, we got to pay them. No, no Christmas. <laughs> um, she went through those type of times. I mean, those would crush a lot of people's relationship, losing all our finances and business, you know, losing business twice. Um, all of those things, you know, it was always a struggle and there was many other things going on that, you know, that she went through with me that were very, very uh, difficult. And so when she said that, it's always been that way for us. It's true. Like, I don't know anyone that's walked the path that she has as a, as a wife, um, personally, you know. So and then... I said to her, what would the alternative be? 
just quick. She was like, no good. We wouldn't be in the fight. We wouldn't be answering the, answering the call of God on our life. That's my wife. Like she, she's strong and she's she's so talented. I mean, she's a phenomenal actress. You know, she um, is a performer. As a, you know, she's just an artist and she's gifted. She's humble. And uh, she has uh, purity in her art form so that it's about the art and not about, it's just, you don't get that always. Usually when there's, she's just got a humility and, and she's humble to go with that talent. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. And she wanted to give it up to do it to do something that God called me to do. Um, so, it's been, um, it's been an easy ride <laughs> it, in, in so many ways, even though it's been, <laughs> uh, look back at the 10 years of just up and down and turmoil and loss and loss of income, loss of this, and God's always provided through. And that's one thing is, you know, women, you know, obviously, you know, in general will look to, you know, they're a man for a certain amount of provision and protection. And oftentimes, we've been in places where because of what God's called me to, that I depend on, God leads us into, into, dangerous places and places that others don't want to go. And when I go, she goes. So I might have been praying that for me. I even told her, I said, just so you know, that it didn't originate with me. I didn't pray that. Like I never heard that before. Just God placed that on me to pray for that. Part of it was because I came out of such darkness with 15 years of addiction and, and um, trauma and abandonment and pain and and then, on top of that, life choices, horrific life choices that were all my fault. I'm not a victim. Um, so, so, there was a lot that she took on, and then a lot that she followed me through. When, when I prayed that, I was, you know, I was, I was angry that I had given up 15 years of my life to follow and to do reckless things that were rebellious and anti-God when I knew the truth. And so, as a fighter, naturally the way God made me, you know, I wanted to, but God placed that on me. I would pray that, put me in dangerous places for you, put me in places others won't go. And so I told her that, I said, God gave that to me. And there's a, a beauty of that, that the hope I have of our future and the things that you know are unknown is I look back at all these things we came through. And so by the time diagnosis came, yeah, there was that initial shock of, oh wow, like how do I say goodbye to my kids if that's what it is? How do I, you know, um, how do, you know, what if it's painful? What if it's excruciating death? What, you know, all these thoughts of deterioration, the kids watching, and all, all of these things you think of. 
Um, but in God's providence, he had me pray these things before. And I just remember, I'm like, oh, we went through all this loss and all of these ups and downs. And, you know, Cassie never wavered in her support and love for me. And we just grew stronger in crisis situations that break marriages. And we never, you know, yeah, sure, we had fights and had moments where we were, you know, but few in comparison to, you know, what, what God took us through. So when I prayed those things, she came, I didn't know, but she would be coming into those things with me. And she, she's walked this, and now we're walking through, you know, cancer together and the possibility that I know when I see when we're at the hospital and you see the infusions and, and people have, you know, have lost their lives that we know, I realize it's easy for me because I could be gone and then I'm, you know, but she would be here with the kids. And so there's a different burden that she carries, you know, but I've never worried about her. I know it would be painful. I know it would be hard, but I just, she is so amazingly strong and so grounded in her faith and you know I just I don't worry um, for her um, and that's a testament to just how highly I think of her you know, it doesn't mean that by any means that it's not a struggle that she doesn't you know she's human but um, she's she's walked that with me and and um, you know now here we go on our what I like to call our second honeymoon which in reality is second honeymoon. We have time away from the kids. <laughs> um, but, you know, here we here we go into this great unknown where, you know, just like we were walking hand in hand, you know, so you think, babe, you know, we were having that first discussion. And now here we go just a few short weeks away from, you know, walking into our destiny to see what's next for us. And um, she's just such strength from her, I just, I don't know, man, it's just relaxing and easy. Life with Cassidy is easy. Life with me, not so much. But, um, but yeah, she's an amazing mother. Um, the way she is with the kids, the way she was last night as we had this conversation about, you know, what's next. And just, she's just um, an amazing human being. And so I'm deeply madly in love with her and I expect to, to spend, you know, a long time on this journey together. I really do. And, and that's why the, when God placed that on me to pray that, I look now and, I, and, and as we're walking through this, I'm like, oh, he's prepared us for all of this. So when diagnosis came and we're stepping into it, I was like, oh, We've been prepared for this. Now it's the same thing. Hardship and suffering and pain. And we've been going through this and God has been the through line that's kept us and, and taken us through it all. And here it is now. We're in the same spot. We need him. We're dependent on him completely. Uh, you know, and we say now it's, we say we're dancing the, the, you know, the tightrope because um, we're enjoying this time we have and knowing there's no net but we don't need that because God is sovereign he is control 
we're unafraid, we're walking this out together, and um, there's nobody, nobody else I would, you know, would be able to be on this journey with than her, I and mean, we're perfectly, you know, um, matched together. And, and so I look back at our journey together, much like the kids, and I see these moments and things that have happened that have prepared us for this, that I just have this, huh, this is not by accident. You know, God has given us this position, and now it's what do we do with the time and, and the opportunity that's before us. So I'm madly in love with Cassidy. Um, I love her dearly, and I think that's all I have to say about right. that. Well, I always have to say that your your goal and hope of the time machine is being something that could be a bit of a time capsule. It's, something that you've been able to fulfill tonight and um, we hope better things man we pray for better things i know you believe it uh, i believe it too because i know he's able so yep. we'll go forward brother in prayers and love and support from the family on this side and there's no worries brother because we know who's we know who holds tomorrow that's right keep one more thought on that i do believe in healing i do believe the god you know um works that way and I'm you know I have I have I have uh, hope for that but the one thing I want to say about that is is there's two sides to that as far as I see it is is I want God's will for my life and Pastor Ken Sachary said you choose for me that's what he told God he was like if you want to take me take me and I've said that to people and I've seen that they don't I've said, you know, if God takes me, takes me. I, you know, my plan is to be here, and you know, but hey, His will, whatever His will. And I know it's ruffled some feathers with some people of faith that I've talked to, and I, and I was wondering, I was like, why, why, why is it that we can agree on all these things, you know, in faith, but when it comes to this, and I realized what it was, was we would agree on everything. We would agree, even to the fact that God heals and that he does that, but the part that some had a hard time with was that God does heal and he has and he will and he can, but it may be his will not to. And are you willing to walk into that and love him to accept your assignment and to do what he has you to do? And that's where I've seen others you know, push back or, or feel uncomfortable because that's a scenario that they don't want. And, and much like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, my God can save me, he will save me, even if he doesn't. He will not serve your gods. And that's how I am. I feel like my God can save me, and he will save me. And even if he doesn't, we'll always serve him. And if, if, hit, if him, I want what God wants, and if... God gets more honor and glory of taking me now than taking me later, then that's what I want. Personally, I want I would love to stay here and be with my kids and have grandbabies and you know, grow old with Cassidy. Absolutely. But I want God's will for my life. He holds tomorrow. It is well with my soul. And I'm ready for whatever he has. I do believe in healing. I do believe I will. I do believe he'll take, he'll bring us through this, but it's not out of self-preservation. It's 
and for me the hope is that then what can you know then I'm on assignment what can what what's next what will you have me do next for you to serve you so um at this time for those that are believers it's happened in the last year with all of the upheaval and the things that have happened and you know, is hopefully removed that illusion that you are in any control of yourself because you are not. Your days are numbered according to God's will. And so the question is, will you serve him? The question is, will you step into whatever he has for you? Even if it's death, will you step into that? So what we need now across the board are, are especially bold men. I've seen so many women rise up in, in strength lately and going, where are the men that will rise up and be bold and speak the truth of the gospel, be unashamed and not bend to the culture or society or, or to um, the government. Um, we serve the living God and we are to be bold and courageous. Amen. And with that we will conclude. Thank you.